You are listening to the 108 Bricks podcast. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at 108 Bricks Pod and get involved with the conversation using the hashtag 108 Bricks. Also, be sure to go ahead and follow us on Facebook too. Go ahead and give us a like. And we post the latest Cubs news and updates right there, and you can get involved with each show on Facebook and Twitter. The 3 2. Fly ball, deep right center field. Back goes Martin near the warning track. He's there. He's got it. Cubs win. is going on ladies and gentlemen this is the 108 bricks chicago cubs podcast i'm dylan buck whites i'm curtis coke i was gonna introduce you there but i like introducing myself in song in song form so not quite though we're coming to you this week and a lot better spirits than we were last week i think uh i had tweeted out to curtis after last weekend now if you weren't following the cubs they're still in first place yes it was a little bit of a, a roller coaster adventure. Well, actually. last week on the on the podcast, I said that my confidence in them is still pretty strong, and we made that known on the show. And Dylan, you were saying that how I, you don't agree with me, and then all that stuff. And then they got swept by the Brewers, and then and I instantly you tweeted, tweeted at, at you. I said, "Hey, Curtis, how's that confidence looking right now?" And you're like, oh, we're totally fine. Yeah. And then Wilson I'm, Contreras is back, and we're going to do great. And I was like, I don't know. And then on top of that as well, we head into this week on – and then uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I'm still a student at Columbia College Chicago. So I have a radio show on Monday nights uh, on WCRX, the student station, um, called He and She. And my co-host, Becky Fiala, and I were talking about the same thing. Like, how is your confidence in the Cubs right I said, now? And I actually, I called in because I was listening in. You did, And I, yes. I said I'm as, I was at a solid five because that weekend really scared me. Their hitting was dead. They scored three runs across three games, and they got heftily outplayed by yes. the Brewers in, a, in what was going to be what's going to be a close divisional race. Now, hindsight tells me I probably should not have put it at a five because they went on to play the Mets in a three-game series and then proceeded to score 34 runs Yes, in th- in a span of three games. And that's games. what I said on the show is that they're playing the Mets. The Mets are a terrible team. They have uh, p- probably one of the most, like, when you look at their opening day lineup versus their roster now, completely night and day just because of all the injuries that they've had. They've made trades along the way as well. So it, it's interesting to see how you know, everything has kind of formulated together and with that Mets team and just the fact that they've lost, you know, Jonas Cespedes and a bunch of other guys too, but they still have, you know, Jacob deGrom and a few other guys. Um, but we didn't face any of really of those guys with the exception of Matt Harvey. Um, he Noah was really Syndergaard the, is actually going to make a start, I think, before the end of the season too. Yeah, he's He'll hoping to. Um, but regardless, so I looked at that series. I'm like, okay, that's a team the Cubs can really take apart. And then heading into the Cardinals series, I was thinking to myself, if they took two out of three, I'd be thrilled. And so here's the thing with the Cardinals series is the Cardinals were three games back, and the Brewers were also three games back. Mm -hmm. And it was looking to be quite the entertaining span of games to end the season for the NL Central. And then the Cubs decided to go in and take three of three. And basically bury the St. Louis Cardinals yeah. for the rest of the season, or at least the Cardinals' chances of taking the Central at this point. And so, my what I think, let's go with this now. Let's go with your confidence level. What are you at now after this 
span of games. Um, heading into this uh, series against the Rays as the day we're recording this and this weekend series against the Brewers, I would still hold at a solid seven, maybe a little bit higher, seven and a half. Um, and the only reason I would probably go a little bit higher is because of the fact that you're getting, you know, Contreras back. He served his one game suspension, which we'll get into in a little bit. And also uh, Addison Russell is back. And that's also key too. one thing that I'm kind of intrigued about. And I didn't hear anybody else talk about this, Dylan, but I, I just thought maybe we could talk about this for a brief moment. Um, Javier Baez has been phenomenal at shortstop. What are your thoughts about moving Russell to second? He could certainly fit the bill. And having a uh, Russell Baez, because uh, up the middle you could you still have a really great defensive pairing in those two guys. Um, but I look at what Russell has done this year defensively, and he was his arm strength looked a little low, but also just some basic plays that he just didn't make that he normally made the last year. But Baez has been really good defensively. I was going to say solid, but I don't think solid really justifies just as well he was doing. He was playing very well. At shortstop, and he made a he made a very strong case to be an everyday starter in the uh, major leagues. Yeah, with the, with his play. But I look at that team, and I think if you move, for example, if you move Russell the second, you could have happen center if you still want his bat in the lineup. Um, Schwarber would still probably be in left field. Um, Zobris, you could plug into left field if if need be, um, or you could plug him in at second. Whatever you choose to do with him. Um, but if Russell comes back and he plays hot here on out through until the playoffs, I wouldn't be opposed to maybe seeing Joe Madden move him over to second because you look at what happened with Starlin Castro when Russell was first called up. Russell started at second base for a while, and then Castro was eventually moved over to second, and Russell moved over to short. And Castro has had a really good year at second base, both defensively and offensively, and Russell did his thing at shortstop. Um, but I look at that now and I think to myself, if you did the same thing, just kind of flip it and just move Russell over a second, I think that puts him in a pretty good position, you know, here on out. I'm not sure if he, if he's going to stay there. I think Joe is really set on the mindset of keeping Russell at short and moving Baez at second. But I, I think regardless, if you decided that if Baez is, you're going to be your future shortstop because of his defense and sometimes what he brings to the plate, you could have Russell in the lineup at second base if you need him. Yeah, I think it's definitely, and, and in all fairness, this is like another dream situation for Joe Madden, who loves to use his players at multiple positions. You really could. You could put him in second, you can put him at short. It's a mix and match. Yeah. And I think just the fact that Baez is also playing consistent and with Russell coming back off of his injury, it just gives Madden more weapons to play with and more threats to for other teams to deal with down the line yeah. now is because you don't know who you're going to be facing. On top of that now, um, especially with the outfield, you can't you can't not be playing Albert Almora Jr. at the same time. He's been surging in the past few games as well. Jason Hayward has been betting really well with players on base. And you can even possibly, if it comes down to it, you can go back and start putting Baez at third base again. Yeah, mm-hmm. Baez can play at third, Zobrist at second, Russell at shortstop, and then move Chris Bryant into left field. Um Obviously, we like having Schwarber's bat in the lineup, but he's had a few interesting uh, falls out in left field while yeah. checking some fly balls. I think the same homestand in the past nine games, we had the somersault, and then he botched one over um, over there on Sunday, yesterday, out in left field. And so, obviously, yeah. his defense is a little questionable, but you like having him in the lineup for his bat. But I don't think we've actually mentioned it yet, though. But as of today, the magic number 
for the Cubs stands at 10. Now, this magic number, I think, is for just to clinch the playoffs. Clinch the, div- I think, yes, the playoffs. Yes. Just clinch a playoff, uh, clinch a playoff berth. And so, um, looking at down the line, though, at the division, we have four games over Milwaukee, six games over St. Louis. Now, it's going to be very difficult for the St. Louis to make up six games. Yeah. But Milwaukee, on the other hand, they have four to go, and they also have three of those against the Cubs mm-hmm. ne- next weekend. Um, it's actually pretty interesting. I'd found this little infographic here that looks at the Cubs' record and what Milwaukee needs to do to, at the very least, tie them. Now, the Cubs can actually finish off in the next 13 games, can finish under 500 in those 13 games, go 6-7, and seven, and for Milwaukee to catch them, they don't, they'd have to still play 10-3. and three. They, they can only lose three games for the rest of the year, even if the Cubs go on a losing streak. Yeah. Now... I don't know about you and about all the math and whatnot, but I like those numbers. I do too, yeah. Um, the Cubs need to go 10-3 and three for Milwaukee to tie them. And obviously, it, it looks a lot better on paper. We still have those three games against Milwaukee. Who knows what's going to happen in the next span of three games. The Cubs are off to Tampa. Hopefully, we can keep that winning streak going. I don't think we'll get close to the uh, 22 that the Indians put up. But hopefully, I'd like a 10-game winning streak. I would too. That'd be or at awesome. Least I, I would love to sweep Tampa and have nine in a row going into Milwaukee because that's got to scare them. They sweep the Cubs and the Cubs go on to win nine or nine in a row. Yeah, that's uh. I, if I was Milwaukee, I'd be shaking in and my I, boots. And I still look at the rest of the season too because they have one more series against the Reds to close out the season. And we all know the Cubs' success against Cincinnati the last few years. Um, although Cincinnati has played well against the Cubs this season, and they've played uh, well. Yeah, they yeah. can hit. That's why their hitting is very strong this year. One more series against uh, both Milwaukee and the uh, Cardinals, and if you assume that the Cubs can just take two out of three in each of those series, that'd be fine. You mm-hmm. know, I think that'd be perfectly fine. And then the Cubs go on into the playoffs, you know, with whatever they do. Um, I-, I think heading into the playoffs, though, it's going to be nice to see, or interesting to see rather, what they end up doing with. The pitching rotation, which we'll, again, get into in a little bit. But um, I think Addison Russell being back is going to be a big impact to this team in the looks of not only what he brings offensively, like what he did against you know his first big league at bat since coming off the disabled list, but um, just finally that the team is getting healthy heading into the postseason is always a good sign. And I think um, the impact of him at shortstop or in the infield while he's out there, um, also adds a, an element to when it comes into the postseason because last year he had a couple of really big home runs. He had the Grand Slam in Game 6 of the World Series, and then he had the two home runs out in L.A. Um, in Games 4 and 5, I believe. Um, and that also helped propel the Cubs on to the next round of those uh, playoff series and it actually helped them win the World Series in Game 6. Um, but either way, those are moments that you look at Russell's impact in the playoffs and that's a guy that you want in your lineup heading into the postseason. So I think his impact coming back would be great, especially if they can string together some 10 wins or whatever heading into the postseason. I think, yeah, you you pretty much hit every point we needed to cover Nail there. Because we're, we were going to talk about how much of an impact it is to have Addison back. We were also, a lot of us were worried after that foot injury came around, and there definitely were a lot of complications with that. He, I would say he's definitely back later than expected, but boy, did he come back with a boom. First at bat, I think it was like the second pitch he saw, he blasted a home run into left field. Um, not only that, just his glove as well. And you mentioned uh, before how Javi has been playing really well. I'd be, you, you have basically a brick wall 
between uh, <laughs> between first and third base right now, between second and shortstop with Addison Russell and yeah. Javi Baez on the field. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for anyone to get a ball, a ground ball past anyone. And, and so it just adds not only defensive uh, assistance that everyone really needs, but if he can keep hitting as well as he did, he had a really solid year last year as a rookie. Um, came in big in the playoffs, came in big with his clutch hitting. If he can keep that up, it'll be great. He's still protected, batting low in that order. We still see him at that seven spot, at that eight spot. It'll be interesting, too, because Joe has been using Javi in that spot, and Javi's yeah. been protected a while. So it's going to put a lot more pressure on Javi now because he's obviously not going to be getting that spot in the batting order anymore. He's not going to be protected. He may, Maybe he'll get that seven spot, maybe he'll get that six spot, but... The the eight nine usually is Russell's area. He's been really comfortable batting in that order. Yeah, and Joe's always had him either eight or nine. Um, but when he was a rookie in two thousand fifteen, he uh, he actually was batting ninth because that's when Joe Madden liked to use the phrase of uh, having the double leadoff hitter. You know, with Russell batting ninth, it would add the, an element of you know having to pitch to um, the pitcher to get him out, and then avoiding a, any sort of um, out running into it with the nine spot, but then if Russell got on base, you have your top of your order set with a good base runner, and that was the key for Madden's thought process with that. Um, but over time, I think you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team heading out into the playoffs, and obviously his impact coming back would be uh, really, really needed. Um, the one thing that I mentioned just a few minutes ago um, is who's going to be the odd man out in the rotation, assuming the Cubs win the division and make the playoffs. Um, they have so yeah. One thing we always usually talk about on the show every week is the pitching, and we've actually been pretty critical of it. I think since we started this podcast about the starters as well as the bullpen, and we'll we'll start things off with the starters because obviously pre All Star break that was one of the biggest red flags with the team in general. They weren't getting. They had like one of the most. They had the most runs given up in the first inning. And one of like the worst ERAs yeah. in the league so far. And coming out of the All Star break, we seem to see we seem to have seen uh, rejuvenation of the rotation so yeah. far. Um, obviously, surprises John Lackey seems to be had become one of the most consistent starters and record wise since the All Star break. John Lester seemed to have found his stuff again. Obviously, he had that little stint with an injury, but he came back from that strong and gave a solid performance in his last outing. Jose Quintana. Over the weekend, gave us six solid innings, gave up a few runs in the sixth, but obviously circumstances just that, happened. Just that home run to Fowler. Yeah. Solid performance out of him. Arietta seems to have found his way. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is putting yeah, putting up some of the mo- one of the most quality starts out of any starting pitcher so far in the majors since the All-Star break and since he came back from injury. And yeah. so Hopefully Jake can come back in the next few weeks and or within the week and hopefully get back into the swing of things because they could use an, that arm in the bullpen. And now it brings up the question in because this with most teams going into the postseason, we see a four-man rotation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Cubs have a little more than four pitchers who could be playoff eligible, I'll use that term. Curtis, what do you see as the four guys the Cubs are, in theory, going to be using for the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, that that's a tough call. Um you have five really solid starting pitchers that you could use. Um, I think the odd man out, and I don't think he's going to be too thrilled with this, 
I really think it's going to be John Lackey. And we were just talking about how his experience um, in the in his postseason and his career and all that sort of stuff kind of becomes a factor. Um, but we haven't seen Jose Quintana pitch in the playoffs before. Um, he's never been on a team that's made it to the postseason because he's been with the White Sox, um, at least to the point where he can actually be a, a con- big contributing factor. Um, but I look at who could be the odd man out. I would see Lester, Arietta, and Hendricks being your sol- your locked in one, two, three guys. And then I look at who would be the fourth. And honestly, I think it would be a toss up. I, I don't know. But I, if I were Joe Madden, at least with me, I think I would take Quintana as the fourth guy. Um, we know what he can bring to the table. We know his success, you know, in the American League and everything like that. But assuming that the Cubs make it to the right to the World Series again and try to make it a back-to-back push, it'll be tough to see how they do against or what the Cubs will do uh, with the rotation. Um, but John Lackey has had that high home run rate this season, um, and it's big hits like that, home runs, and you know, with men on that really can kind of make a game from being a, a one from going your way from one going against your way. Um, so I think if you look at that, I look at Quintana as being a guy that could really kind of make an impact in the rotation in the postseason, but you're not sure yet. Um, if Quintana doesn't look really solid and, and comfortable up there in the rotation, then maybe you flip it and then you have Lackey come in and then maybe you move Quintana to the bullpen if the bullpen is struggling and injury uh injured plague into the playoffs you know it's there's a lot of different options there I think end up whoever will be the odd man out of the rotation will be moved to the bullpen um it's a matter of how those guys adjust to moving to the bullpen which I think will be the x factor when it comes to the postseason Uh, I kind of agree with that and I think actually you bring up a really interesting situation here because you mentioned the first three are pretty much solid locks you have Jake Arrieta John Lester and uh, Kyle Hendricks. That's yeah. going to be your number three. That now, was that was our top three that we went with last year, and it yeah, worked out really well for Before you us. clarify, the first uh, series of the playoffs is a best of five. So really what you're going to go with is you're going to go with a three-man rotation for that. Yes. When you go into the next two series, the NLCS and NL uh, in the World Series, then you it's have, a best of seven. Then, then you, you, you go five. to the four. Yeah. Or, yeah. Then you go to the four-man rotation. Yeah. Well, and yeah, it's going to be interesting because obviously it's a matter of who who do you want pitching in game four. Now, we're looking at the NLDS right now because that's a best of five. You have your first three locked in, and it's an interesting choice because not only have John Lackey and Jose Quintana been very solid as of late, you also have a choice between a righty and a lefty, which could be night or day for the, for that team. And I think it depends on what the the sort of lineup they go with, how many lefties they have in the bullpen. Who are they going to bring in for that series? Are there going to be a lot of righty relievers? Are there going to be a lot of lefty relievers? This actually goes just like a lot deeper, I think, than just a oh, who is uh, who's pitching better? That guy's going to go because we don't know yet if the Cubs are going to be playing either Los Angeles or the Nationals. And I don't know this off the top of my head, but I don't know which team's hitting off of righties better, which team's hitting off of lefties better. We could potentially see Quintana in for a game three if Madden trusts him enough. I can see that a potentially th- uh, Here, as a thing. Um, because he, here's also a fact. Um, we're probably going to be the lower seed for this series, which means game three and game four will be at Wrigley Field. 
And depending on how that series goes, there could be a lot of pressure on the team to either really win those games or it could be a lot less pressure because they could either be down 0-2, it could well, be 1-1. Well, I think either way you'd get pressure because if you're, if you're ahead in the series, you got to close it out at home, which would, there would be pressure for being at home. But then, if you're in a tough spot where you have to, it's a must-win situation. Then you're still going to. And then have it comes down to who do you want on the mound? Here's, in that here's time. a bigger interesting question: Arietta is still injured. Let's say he doesn't make it back for the postseason, and you're in that first series in a best of five. Who are you starting for Game Three? Assuming that Lester so or you Hendricks, go Lest- you go Lester one. You know, I'd actually go. This is kind of sounds a little crazy. I'd go because Lest- you'd have a three-man rotation in that best of five. Yeah, I would like. To, I want to go with the lefties first. I would actually, if if there's no Arietta, I'd I'd like to see Lester one, put Quintana in second. So you got a lefty lefty for games one and, and then two. You get Hendricks at home. Then you take Hendricks at home and and Lackey in for game four. You wouldn't go to Lester on a short rest. No, I'd save him for game five if if it, if need be. Unless it's like a unless it's like a clinching game, I'd put in Lackey for game four. I think Lackey's a game four guy no matter what. Okay. Interesting. Uh, now that's for the So you'd NL- still go with a four man rotation yes. for that. And okay. I think Madden's going to go with the four man rotation for that. I don't see I see Lackey in for game four in in virtually every situation. It's just a matter of how they want to utilize Quintana. Mm-hmm. Um that's gonna be an interesting thing. Will they put him in the bullpen? I don't know how Quintana has pitched out of the bullpen so yeah. far. Do they want to let, add another lefty out there? Obviously, Mike Montgomery has been pitching well. Their whole bullpen's been pitching well. Uh, how do you want to utilize him? Do you do you want to take Quintana out of the NLDS lineup for another potential bat or another potential arm in the in the bullpen? There's a lot of of question marks going in there. Or do you want to use him as a game a potential game five starter? Yeah, I, I, obviously, I don't think they were going to want to go with those that. Are, those are the million-dollar questions right there. Which is why I see him possibly going in in a game two, because you can have Lester game one or Jake game one, Quintana game two, Hendricks or whoever didn't pitch in the first two games, game three. Lackey comes in game four, and then you either have Jake or Lester for game five. I think that's that would be the situation that the Cubs would want to go with. Now, obviously, moving on to the next round in an NL or in the NLCS best of seven or the World Series, it's a completely different situation. You obviously have more games to work with, and you get to change up your lineup again. But all in all, I think that's what the the options are in front of them. And if Quintana is pitching well, it's a very um, it's a very good weapon to have two lefties as two yeah, really I good think, pitching lefties as your starters. I think it'd be interesting to see how Madden's going to make that rotation. And it's also going to be interesting to see how the rest of the bullpen is going to do heading into the postseason because they're injured right now. I think isn't Rodon injured? I know Koji Uehara is injured. Um, there's several guys on that bullpen that could really use, um, you know, a, a Band-Aid, so to speak, and get healthy and get to 100% again. Um, but let's move on to the next one here, and that's going to be our next segment, that is. And as we've always done on this podcast for – um, each week we've been recording, we do our over and underperforming player of the week. Um, this week is different because we don't really have, well, I mean, I have an underperformer player but or players, but um, the team has been playing so well that there's not really much of a, a solid lock in candidate as a, uh, as a under, but Dylan, you have a whole group of guys. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, as I mentioned before, we really love calling out pitching, and I want to call out the entire bullpen again because they have really stepped it up. 
and pitched literally lights out baseball the past few games. Over the last span of nine games in the homestand, the bullpen has covered nine innings and given up given up zero runs. Yeah. Which is extremely imp- impressive for any bullpen in general and especially yeah. for the Cubs and it's really good to see down the line and especially in situations where on Thursday during that Mets game um, the Cubs went with uh, a prospect pitcher who um, I can't remember his name off the top of his head Sang and he gave up a lot of runs early Mike Montgomery had to come in the game in the third and pitch middle relief for a few innings followed by CJ Edwards who's been pitching really well he seems to have found the strike zone getting a lot less walks Koji Uihara has been pitching a lot better and obviously last but not least Wade Davis 30 for 30 saves now he's been the star of this bullpen the entire year and I guess it hasn't been a Wade Davis save unless he gives you a little heart attack, as we saw last yeah. Sunday. But he's been getting the job done. Zero blown saves this entire year. And there were a year. lot of questions with him had when the Cubs first acquired him because they gave up Jorge Soler, which was a fair trade because there wasn't really any potential for Soler to crack the lineup with Hayward and Schwarber and all the other uh, players involved in that. But you look at um, what... They they really just give up. It was a straight one for one swap, and you get that production out of Wade Davis. Now, God, what boy was that a deal we made? That was that was Prop, a very good props deal. To Theo and um, Jed, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens because Wade Davis will be a free agent. Um, if he really liked his time here with the Cubs and he wants to kind of stay here and you know find this as his home and stuff, I wonder if he would take a little bit of a discount. But never um, know. But you never know. I think he's going to try to cash out because he hasn't had that opportunity yet. And same thing with Jake Arrieta. Jake Arrieta is going to look to cash out because he's never been a free agent at this p- position before. So he wants to cash out while he can, which you got to respect that because that's a uh, there's, those are two both really talented pitchers. And you really only hit free agency in your career at the prime where you could get cashed out to a lot of money if you're really fortunate only maybe once in your career. So yeah. try to make the most of it and make the most money that you can. Which I would, is what I would not mind for. paying Wade Davis the money that he deserves though. I would pay Wade Davis more than I'd pay Jake Arrieta. Yeah. Just because of how important the closer role has become over the past few. I think years. you can make a case for Arietta too. Um, but anyway, speaking of Wade Davis, he is my overperforming uh, player because of the fact that he's just been so clutch in the closer situation. Um, my underperforming player, and actually I shouldn't say player, uh, it's players or so to speak, uh, the umpires uh, that have been involved. Not just, not of course, just the Lackey and Contreras situation, which we've gotten to a little bit, touched on a little bit, but also just I feel like the umpires this year in general have really kind of taken that step to try to make it more of a, about them to try to like reclaim that it's their game they're doing and controlling and everything like that. And a lot of times they lose control of that sort of stuff. Um, But more specifically, like they can't really have the type of events that um, incurred over the weekend between Contreras and Lackey. And uh, I think it was Jordan, Jordan Baker, the home plate umpire. I forget his name. I I believe that. I believe that. Yeah, I believe Um, you're right. But regardless, in a pennant race, you can't miss an obvious strike three call like that. Now I've seen arguments that Contreras is, uh, glove placement where he caught the curveball was uh, interesting because of the way he framed it, but I don't think people realize it's not where the catcher catches the ball that determines the call. It's 
where the ball crosses the plate. Yeah, but you know framing has some sort of impact. Well, of course, because you want it to look like it's higher than it is. Yeah. It does have a little bit of an impact, but umpires, when they when they first make the call, they're judging it off of where the ball crosses the plate, not where the catcher catches it. Because you could have the ball cross the plate and sink down. You know, It could cross the plate high and then sink down, and everybody's like, oh, it's a strike because he caught it in the strike zone. No, it crossed the plate at the player's shoulders and then dropped down to his chest you know, or whatever. Um, that sort of thing. So umpires in general, I think, will really need to step up their game. It'll be interesting to see, Dylan, what they decide to do with uh, umpires. And um, we've been talking, we'll talk about a little bit more here, the robotic umps that have been brought up for the strike zone. For me personally, I think there's just one easy solution to it. Just allow managers to challenge a ball or strike call. I was going to say, because it works almost the same way in tennis, where you have a few, um, if the ball is close to the line yeah. and it was called out or something, you get, I think it's two or three challenges to that call. And it takes really quick. All it, go, it goes instantly to the screen. They look at it, tells it if it's a ball or strike, and that's it. Yeah. Or maybe even give the players the right to challenge that, not the umpires. Like. The, the, the team in general gets three challenges. The players can use with them however they I want. Wouldn't, I wouldn't add too many challenges because I think that will still delay the game. Um, but I, I would say if what If they you can, can get do, to the technology where it's as fast as tennis, because tennis, it literally goes, I'm challenging it. It takes 30 seconds. It shows it, ball in or out. Yeah. Then it switches right over. It can go If it can go that fast, then I'm all for it. Because obviously we've seen those replay reviews take upwards of five to ten minutes potentially yeah. um, when it gets sent over to New York. We don't want that situation with just what's a ball or a strike call. We need it to yeah. be quick, too, simple, and um, effective. The other thing, too, is that if – that at least I think the way that they could fix this is if they had the same amount of challenges, if the team challenges a call, which they are, I believe this already happens, if the team wins the call or it goes – it gets reversed and the team gets the favor of it, they still keep their challenge, Correct. Yes. Yeah. They so to... they could still do the same thing, but just allow coaches to challenge balls and strikes calls. Because I'm, I am 100% sure that if Joe Madden had the opportunity to challenge that strike three call, he would have. That would have, and it would have been overturned, gotten the Cubs out of that inning, and then he would have kept his challenge call to use later on in the game if he ever needed it to. Now, granted, in hindsight, it doesn't it doesn't really matter because the Cubs still won that game eight to two. They need a red flag, like for uh, football. Football, yeah. So, man, you just see a red flag come flying out of the dugout. <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's just who my underperforming players. I guess maybe not so much on the umpires, but maybe more so on. Major League Baseball, if they can make it work like that, I think that'd be more reasonable. It's funny because it's hard for us to pick underperforming players at the day we're recording just because the Cubs have just won six games in a row. Yeah. So obviously they're playing some pretty good baseball. And so I don't have anything and he goes with the umpires. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it makes for some quality content. It does. uh, It's pretty entertaining. And I'd love to see going down the line the Cubs win some more games. And I think the next time we record, it'll be two weeks from today. And it'll be right before the playoffs begin, I believe. Yeah. yeah if, um, fingers crossed, we w- at least win the NL Central. And so it'll be right before the um, first round of the NLDS kicks off. And we'll be giving you a, a, a playoff preview at that. And so down the line, fingers crossed, we have some October baseball on our hands. Yeah. Um, I think that that'll, that's going to wrap up our show, though, Yeah. for today. Lots of good stuff to talk about. Six in a row for the Cubs. Follow us on social media, everybody. Uh, Twitter.com, at 108BricksPod. And also, you can email us on our personal Gmail account. Uh, of course, it's 
and 8108 Bricks, B-R-I-C-K-S, podcast at gmail.com. You can follow both of us on social media. I'm on Twitter.com, just Curtis K underscore radio. Dylan is? Hi underscore I'm underscore Buck. And also, you can go ahead and like us on Facebook. Just search subscribe to our podcast. Yes, too, and subscribe please. to us. You can on, get us. You get updates as soon as we upload. Subscribe to us, yeah, on iTunes, and uh, we'll be happy to inform you when the latest episode is out. All the good stuff. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and hopefully, we'll see you again in, uh, in a couple of weeks and talk in October baseball. <laughs> <laughs>